Hey folks, before we get started with this one, I wanted to let you know that we are aware that there are some weird audio issues going on with our productions lately, and I want to thank you for listening in spite of it. This is another one where there's some weird stuff going on. We're working on it and figuring it out, but uh, this episode was too good just to ditch because of a few blips here and there. We hope you enjoyed this episode and hope that this new year has started off really well for you. Here is to another great year of being a first-class counselor and an even better summer of 2022. This is First Class Counselors, another innovative podcast brought to you by Camp Hacker. First Class Counselors is dedicated to young and up-and-coming camp mavericks. By equipping and empowering our on-the-ground staff, camp directors can rest easy knowing that our campers are having the true life-changing experience that parents expect. Find our show notes and our blog for camp leaders and professionals at camphacker.tv. Hello, Camp Pros. This is Oliver Gregan. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm the executive director at YMCA Camp Winona in Leon Springs, Florida. And my name is Matt Wilfred. My pronouns are also he, him, and I'm the executive producer of podcasting at Go Camp Pro, and you are listening to First Class Counselors. This is a series for camp directors to give to their counselors as they hire and prepare them for the upcoming summer. Because great camp directors know that counselors have the most important job at camp, no matter where they are, whether they're in the pool, in a field, on an overnight trip, perhaps. The camp counselor's abilities can make or break campers weak, and they will hold the keys to a camper coming back year after year. So that's why it's important that you do everything you can to be a first-class counselor when you're at camp. So thank you for tuning in to First Class Counselors. Here, we're going to cover one specific topic, and we're going to cover the essentials as fast as we can. It's the needs and knows. They can't go without. The fundamentals. The basics. And what we're going to get started on today and be talking about is the overnight, the camp out, the out trip, the night in the woods that many campers either dread or look forward to. And... That's what we really want to focus on is how do we make sure that we make sure that that night under the stars is as comfortable as possible and a memorable experience. So in this episode, we're going to break down how to be prepared for trip as a counselor, because it might also be your first time on one of these trips. So we're going to talk about how uh, to personally prepare for it, what you'll need to personally consider. We'll also talk about the specifics of supervising kids in the wilderness and being an all around first class counselor on trip. So Matt, can you define us? What kind of trip are we not talking about though? Right, right. So we'll narrow it down a little bit because trips come in, they come in many different forms. You know, day camps will go on just field trips for the day. We're talking about ones where kids are sleeping out essentially. And that could look like a bunch of different things. It could be just a one night sleep out that some camps do where kids are in tents or under the stars or a bunch of different things. Or it could be a multi-day trip where you're hiking or canoeing from spot to spot. Uh, but just so generally, we are talking about the um, being out in nature, usually in the woods, um, where you're having to set up tents or set up camp and sleep out overnight. And so we're going to give you some of the tips within that context. So if you're looking for a podcast about field trips, uh, this isn't the one, but maybe we'll do that with uh, some day camp pros another time. Perfect. So let's get started with the essential gear list. That's what a lot of people think about when it comes to these trips or these overnights is what do I need to bring? Now, first off, your camp is probably going to give you a list and a lot of the necessary equipment that you're going to need to bring anyways, and to make sure that your campers have. Uh, and ask about that. Check in and get that list if you can. What we're going to talk about is a little bit about the personal gear, the stuff that you kind of want to make sure you bring yourself, right? So Matt, What's your like thing that you know you need when you go on a camping trip, especially a camping trip with kids? Right. Okay. I have I have a pretty big list, and these are like kind of the inside scoop of things because you know you need to bring enough clothes for every day you're there. Bring extra socks, those kinds of things. You'll get that in the packing list. But here are some of my uh, my pro tips when it comes to camping out. Um, and mostly this is for yourself. I'll, I'll get to some kid-friendly stuff later. Okay. Uh, and if you go to the show notes at our, at, at 
uh, gocamp.pro slash FCC, you'll be able to see some of the links to Amazon products that I mentioned here. I'm going to go through these a little bit fast and furious. Okay. You want an inflatable ultralight sleeping mat. Basically, that is something that it's inflatable and it rolls up into a super small thing because as you get older, especially sleeping on the hard ground um, is really tough and it, it leaves you feeling a little bit you know, crumply in the morning and you need to be full of energy and ready to go. So a good night's sleep is really important. So a sleeping mat, and if you want to be a little bit fancy about it, I sometimes will bring a fitted sheet that I wrap around that sleeping mat so my back doesn't stick to the sleeping mat when it gets super warm at night. I know, very fancy. Um, next, a lot of camps will tell you that you can't bring a pillow. Well, I shouldn't say that. My camps growing up, when we were going on canoe trips, they said you can't pack a pillow because it takes up too much space. If you can bring a pillow, for sure, bring your pillow. But my pro tip, if you can't or you want to save some space, just bring your pillowcase and then you can stuff your pillowcase with all of the clothes that you uh, that you would wear throughout the trip, clean or dirty. It doesn't really matter because you're on trip and you shove them all in the pillowcase and it's almost as good as a regular pillow. It's good enough for trip. Okay. Next, uh, one thing that I bring on canoe trips when we're going to have some longer times to hang out, I bring cards because cards are always useful for kids and, and, um, you know, staff at night if you're playing. Uh, but I also bring a hammock because uh, a hammock with tree straps is just such a great thing to have at the site for campers to have a little bit of solo time, maybe bring two if you think they're going to be really popular or else you're going to end up having to schedule time in the hammock. Uh, but it's also just a really nice place to chill. And if you want, and if you're allowed to, um, I've had amazing sleeps overnight on canoe trips in my hammock. Get ones with tree straps and you will love it. Uh, more on the practical side of things, get a headlamp. Do not worry yourself ever again with holding a flashlight because you lose a hand and one-handed canoe trips or camping trips aren't nearly as fun as having both hands. So you need uh, a headlamp. They're, they're widely available at, at any kind of building store, any kind of home store. I don't know which ones they have in the States, but my go-to is Canadian Tire. Um, that's where you can get them or check out the link on Amazon. I would also recommend that you get a battery-powered one. And I know that rechargeable is the way of the future and you could get rechargeable batteries if you want. Um, but I always like having batteries because a battery is something you can just take with you. Whereas if you run out of a charge and you don't have like a solar charger, which are pretty expensive, batteries are an easy way to replenish your flashlight. Okay. Uh, next, uh, a good personal bug jacket of your own that you know fits you well, that isn't too hot or isn't doesn't isn't full of holes. If you want bug pants, you can get those too. If you want to look super duper cool, um, I personally love bug cream rather than bug spray. Um, I'm not a huge fan of aerosols environment wise, but bug cream is really nice because you can just you rub it, you know exactly where it is, and you're already rubbing sunscreen all over yourself anyway too. So it's just another cream to rub in. Uh, and then this might be the most important one. I don't know why I saved it for second last, but a fully waterproof raincoat. I'm not talking like ones that you spend $5 on at the dollar store. I'm talking a really good raincoat. And this is one of the things where you buy it for life. Get a raincoat, go a size up of, no of where you normally are. So you have room to grow or room to layer underneath in the winter. But a Gore-Tex raincoat, you should be paying around $100 US dollars. I know we usually tell you don't spend your own money, but you're going to use this for the rest of your life for a very long time. If you get a Gore-Tex or one with a lifetime warranty, like a company uh, like Arcteryx, they're going to be uh, helping you service that product for the rest of its life as well. Um, and a fully waterproof raincoat is essential for staying warm. Uh, it's also, you know, I was on a canoe trip this summer and my tent leaked. And the only way that we made it through two nights of solid rain was that I took my rain jacket and draped it over the fly of the and that protected me uh, from the rain coming into the tent. So um, that was an essential piece for me for many reasons, not just keeping my body dry in the day, keeping it dry at night as well. Oliver, what are your pro tips for packing? Yeah, just to highlight your, some of your great tips real quick for you know proving that they are great. The rain jacket, 100%. If you're not getting like an Arterix or something where they're going to service it for you, talk to the person at the REI or the shop they're going to teach you how to rainproof that jacket. Because what happens is after you wear that jacket 10 to 15 times, which may not seem like many, but 
it is a lot for that rain jacket. It's going to start to lose its waterproofing. So you can actually treat it and get that waterproofing back on that jacket. And in fact, sometimes when you do that afterwards, it, it feels like it's better than when you bought it brand new. Um, so learn how to waterproof your jackets. And sometimes that will make that jacket last way, way longer. And then I love your pillow technique. I don't even bring my pillow case though. I just use a t-shirt and just throw everything in the t-shirt and use that as my pillow. Um, yep. Or it's uh-huh. just your backpack. Uh, now that I'm a little bit older and a little more prestige, I did get a inflatable pillow for camping from family during Christmas. So um, that probably has more drool, drool on it than my actual pillow because <laughs> it is just so comfortable. Uh, and for those of you who don't know this, but you will get a better, if you get a good night's sleep out while you're camping, it will be your best night's sleep that you'll have, you've had in a long time. True. Uh, for my personal gear things, what I'm going to suggest to you is first um, get a lighter and learn how to light a fire. If you're going to be doing campfire um, cooking or fires around the fire pit that feel like they're necessary for your, your trips, some uh, places you might go, you have to have, do everything in cooking equipment. You might not be able to do a campfire, but uh, just make sure you know how to start a fire um, and bring a lighter that you know works and is lit. Even a 50 cent one uh, can work just fine if it's what you want, like a little big lighter, but uh, have one that you know works before you leave because uh, there's nothing worse than getting out there and then realizing that you're going to have to start a friction fire and you actually can't do that. Well, you can, but you probably don't know how to do it. I'm not hurting your feelings. It's just way harder than you think it's going to be as someone who has grown many blisters and calluses from trying to do it themselves. Um, my next hint for you is long shirt, long pants. Uh, even in the hot summer, find something that is a lighter fit, breathable, just something that covers your legs and your arms while you're out camping. Uh, you don't realize how many things you can cut and scrape yourself in and having that extra layer of kind of skin really helps. But also the really big thing here is it's going to help prevent bugs, namely ticks. Uh, you don't want to get Lyme's disease, uh, but you also don't want to get covered in mosquito bites. So the long sleeves, and the long pants really help. And then when you go to bed at night, uh, you can choose to, if it's going to be a chilly night, sleep in that long, long clothes. Uh, it's going to help keep you a little bit warmer if it's a chillier night. Uh, and I've been in New England uh, doing some camp trips. And even in the summer, sometimes it's just chilly enough that you just want to keep that long shirt and long pants on uh, to get through the night. And I can only imagine what it's like up in Ontario. Uh, <clears throat> the next thing is a dry bag. I highly suggest a dry bag, even if it's a small one. Uh, because you can put stuff in there that you don't want to get wet. I know that sounds like what it's supposed to be, but there is nothing better than if you were able to keep, you know, a pair of socks, a pair of underwear, and a t-shirt dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, even just that little bit will make you so happy if you've been in rain for three days. Um, or if you're going on a boating trip and the boat flips over, man, are you happy to have that dry bag, especially if something like an electronic, like your phone or um, even your GoPro is inside of there. Um, You'll be very, very happy to have it. Um, Some dry bags actually will float too for that boat flip, but also you can attach a little floaty onto it to make sure that it stays on the surface too, which is always great to do. Um, So dry bags are a huge one for your personal happiness, but also protection of your belongings. Next is lanterns. I say plural because uh, you can bring one lantern, put that on like a table or in the center of your campsite, and it will keep things pretty well lit. Um, But I've found that if we have even two lanterns, um, you it's better because you'll place them on opposite sides of the campsite. And as people are walking around and doing things in the evening, because there's light coming from two directions, you don't have to worry about shadows getting in the way of your work. So it allows you to have a little bit better of a campsite throughout the night and you just feel more comfortable. The other addition of this, of the, having the lanterns on site is that you just have a brighter camp space. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about making sure that your campsite is comfortable for campers who have not been out in the dark before. Having these lanterns and lighting up your area in the woods will make campers feel more comfortable because there's less darkness to feel scared and uncomfortable with. So I usually like to bring a couple of lanterns 
And a lot of people think these huge, big, bulky lanterns are what they need, but there are lanterns that are the size of your hand, right? They're really small, but they still produce a lot of light. So you can look into having those. Um, Next up is a a knife of some sort. Um, Typically around camp during a given camp day, um, I don't find myself using a knife too much. And even when I go on trips, I probably don't pull my knife out um, as much as people think that this mountaineering type of person should be pulling out. Um, and I, uh, I, my grandfather said, uh, a well-prepared person's knife is never used, which I always thought was funny. Um, but yeah, it, it's still good to have that in case you need to make adjustments. Like Matt was talking about, he had some rain that came his way. Um, sometimes you do need that knife to make a cut, um, to make sure things work. Now, granted you had your wonderful rain jacket that did the trick, but sometimes like cutting a piece of tarp and then duct taping that over your tent hole um, or using the duct tape itself um, are all good things to do. And having a knife makes those things a little bit easier. Also, sometimes getting into that like freeze dried food bag is really tough. So just have that. And then I say have some type of like emergency kit. Normally your camp will give you like a first aid kit or something like that. Um, but making sure that first aid kit has a few extra little items in there. Um, I like to have an emergency blanket, um, because of hypothermia. If a kid does get in the water, it's a chilly night. It's a great thing to have. Um, so, um, check and see just a few other little things you can add into that emergency kit to make yourself a little bit safer, uh, without it, uh, becoming too, uh, overweight. And I'll, I'll repeat myself again. It's not just your gear. Okay. But our gear, if one person in your group is missing something, everybody is missing something. So make sure you go through the checklist, make sure your campers have what they need before they go on this trip. And sometimes that is the tedious task of going through each one, going through that list with each one before you list, uh, before you leave. And we're going to talk about checks in a little bit, uh, but we'll go through those as well. Um, But make sure every kid and your co-counselors have what they need before you leave site. And uh, Matt, do you want to finish this off for this topic? Yeah, I, I think I'll just emphasize again that I don't want you to feel like you have to go out and buy all these things. If you if you can't afford them, um, just ask your camp if they have any of these things. You can you can brag a little bit and say, "Hey, I listened to this podcast about going on canoe trips because I'm a first class counselor." Maybe don't say that last part, but you you can say, "Hey, I'm wondering, it, um, do you have this, or can I bring a knife?" Some camps. Uh, they might be specific about certain people that can have knives or and lighters or those kinds of things. So um, maybe just check with whoever is running your trip. Uh, if there's a, if there's sometimes they're called a tripper um, or head of tripping or whatever you want to call it, or your camp director, and they'll give you some guidance on any of those extra things that you might want to bring. All right, moving down our list of things to talk about today. Um, you've been on trail. Uh, you could check out other podcasts for how to make sure trail walking and hiking is fun, but you get to the campsite. So we're setting up the campsite and here are the things you need to do ahead of time. Survey your area, make sure it is safe. Uh, you know, just because it's a regular use campsite does not mean it's a safe campsite. Uh, I can't tell you how many times that I, even as a camp counselor, uh, a leadership staff member in the summer, a camp director through every single level, I've gotten to a campsite where I've seen somebody trying to set their tent up underneath a widow maker, aka like a hanging branch or a leaning tree, just because they're like, oh, this is our campsite that we use all the time. And everyone's come out here all summer. You still need to check that area in case anything dangerous has happened. So like I said, a widow maker, um, those trees that are leaning or falling or branches above your head, make sure you're not setting up your tent or campsite underneath them just in case winds or something come through. Um, a lot of people get nervous about animals. I, If you do have the ability to see if there's any game trails that come through the campsite, that's really important. But really, if you check for, you know, if you see scat or something like that, uh, it might let you know that something um, bigger is in the area that you need to be aware of. So those are just some common things. Um, you might also, for like, those are fairly common campsites. Um, if you're camping in a spot that's not a normal campsite, there's a lot more things to safety check. So um, hopefully at that point, you're an experienced camp person, you know what you're looking for. But those are the general things that I kind of look at when I get to a campsite, you know, instead of just the simple things, which I'm going to go through right now. So when you're serving that area, you do the safety checks, but you also want to think about your tent placement. So we talked about not on a window, 
Widowmaker, but you're also looking for flat, not rocky or rooty land. So no tree roots that are popping up in some kid's back for the night or your back. Uh, you want to make sure that it's flat. You're not on a um, slanted surface. You want to make sure you're not in an area where water runs off. So if it does rain, your tent's not going to fill up with water. Uh, you want to make sure that uh, if you are, if you can judge which way the wind is coming from, you want to make sure like your tent door is not facing the wind because if you try to open your tent and the wind blows into it, your wind, your tent could get flown away. Um, if you like to uh, enjoy things, you can make sure your tent is open to a view. Um, some people really enjoy that. I like to have my door facing eastwards. So the sunlight comes in in the morning and wakes me up across my face. Um, <clears throat> next is your fire placement. Make sure it's a safe distance from your tent. Um, usually, uh, I think the rule of thumb is usually about, what is it? 15 to 30 feet, um, far enough away that none of the embers are going to get caught onto your tent is really the big thing that you're looking for there. Um, and you're not putting your fire underneath a low hanging tree, um, or next to something that could very easily catch fire. Um, that includes like your wood that you're going to be putting in the fire. Don't put it right next to the fire pit. It makes it very easy to have a problem. So think about that. Um, do you have a cooking area or a prep station? So that might be a picnic table that's in your space, but if not, do you have a cool rock to do some food prep on to make your life a little easier or maybe a fallen tree, um, something that can act as a table. Uh, designate where your bathroom is and where your trash is going when you get to your campsite. That way campers and yourself are all putting everything in the same area. Um, and that way um, nobody's putting things where they shouldn't. You don't want to be walking around and then step in a camper's poo because you didn't tell them where to go. Mm. Um, and then to make sure that you're truly set, and this is probably my biggest tip for you in this category, is set up your tent before you leave camp so that you know you have everything. Literally take it out of the bag, put the tent poles into it, set it up, stake it into the ground, make sure that it works. And then you pack it back up, you put it back in your pack. And that is what you do before you leave for your camp. And you will do the same thing when you come back. But it is so important to do that because there's nothing worse than getting to your campsite with a tent that the trip director handed you. And you're like, sweet, I'm all set. I got the tent. And then you get there and all of a sudden you have a broken tent pole or there's a huge hole in your tent. So set it up before you leave. And then you'll do the same thing when you get back to make sure that you didn't leave anything behind. All right. Those are my setting up the campsite tips. Matt, what are your tips for our counselors? Oliver, I, I love, I, I think you laid out the basics really, really well there. Um, the only thing that I would add to is that you, you know, if it's you making the decision about where to put your tents, um, there's a rule, right? Of I think it's, I think it's like 20 feet, a 20 foot triangle, or maybe you were right with saying 20 to 30 feet, but there's a triangle of where you're preparing, where you're cooking your food, and where you're sleeping should be in one area. And then where you are either, if you have like a, a, a spot where you're doing dishes or cleaning up, that should be in the other triangle area. The idea is to spread the scents out as much as possible. So you're not making a super strong scent in, uh, in one area. So you don't want to be cooking and prepping and all in one air and then, and then throwing your food out in the same area. Um, because that's making a stronger sense. So be aware of the of the triangle when you're placing stuff. But what I want to talk about is uh, kind of the moment when you, I think about, you know, canoeing up to a site or rounding the corner and you see your beautiful campsite. The tendency is going to be to like, you want to, oh, go explore. Let's go find some stuff. Let's do this. But I'm going to give you kind of the step-by-step process of how to think about getting your site ready to go from the first moment you get there. So the first thing that I always do, once I know the boats are up on enough shore, I don't even put the boats away properly. I just pull them up far enough that they're not going to float away. The first thing is that you get out and you survey the site doing what Oliver said. Um, but the goal is to get your tents and your tarps up first. So if you think it's going to rain or you've seen the weather forecast or it looks like it's going to rain, your tents need to go up, the flies need to go on the tents, and you need to put some tarps up. So packing 
what, what a camp would usually provide is a couple tarps. So you're going to string those up. So you have at least an area where everyone can hang out under. And then also another area where you can prep and cook under. And those are different spaces. So two big tarps always come with me on a canoe trip. Um, and that goes up first. Okay. Then we, I usually say to people, okay, get your stuff in the tents. Don't unpack. Just unpack to the amount that you need to, if you have site clothes that you want to get into. If you've been canoeing, you might be in a bathing suit. You want to change into your bug gear or whatever. But do that quickly because it's time to do jobs as soon as we get uh, our tent set up. So. My pro tip as a counselor is that you split up your group of campers into different teams that rotate. And so, for instance, you have uh, the water team who is responsible for making sure that the water is set up properly. If you have to go get water or sanitize water or pump water, depending on what kind of trip you're on, there's a water team. That can also be the dishes team at the end of meals. Sometimes I think about it that way. Uh, the fire team, they're going to gather wood following the five Ds of wood collection, which is dead wood, down wood, dry wood, wood of a suitable diameter, and going at a pretty good distance to find that wood as well. Um, we can talk about that specifically in another episode, but they're the fire team. Hopefully there's someone that can uh, learn to light a fire or someone to help them with that. If you have a co-counselor supervising that team, that's a great idea. And then you also have a meal team. Usually your meal prep is going to start pretty early, especially if you're cooking for a big group of people over a fire or over a camp stove. So you need those people to get going quickly so that you're not eating dinner super duper late. Those are the three teams that I usually split people up into just so that you as the counselor, like you shouldn't be doing a ton of this work unless you're with really young campers. This is an opportunity for campers to learn really amazing wilderness camping skills that they can take away uh, from camp with them. And if you do all of it for them, they're not learning anything, right? So uh, you should think of your job as kind of like the general manager. So you should be able to get up your tent super fast. So practicing getting your tent up, like Oliver said, doing it at the start, not only do you know if there's something missing, you're getting better at sending your tent, setting your tent up quickly, but you shouldn't be immersing yourself in any of those tasks. Essentially, you're not um, you're not micromanaging because it's like I said, it's a great learning opportunity. And sometimes if it takes a little bit extra time, it takes a little bit extra time. It's trip. It, if you can go, if you can ever find yourself on a multi-day trip, it is amazing the feeling when you pull up to shore and everyone just starts doing their jobs. The tents are set up in two minutes. The teams are already doing their thing. They know what the schedule is. They know what the meal is and they just go. And then you, the, the brilliance is the last night you have so much extra time that you can have a super long and wonderful campfire at the end of the night, but it takes some practice first. Yeah. I, I love having the teams. I think that's such an important thing that you need to have uh, and set those teams before you leave and yes. you maybe have them practice those skills. Um, the big thing that I actually had a six D to the five Ds, I think, um, and that would be depth of wood. How much wood do you need for the night? Uh, and a lot of times people may not think about how much wood that actually takes to, you know, burn a fire for a few hours. Um, so, and then also having wood ready for maybe the morning breakfast, the day after, right. Having that all set to go. Um, and then you also probably want to think about where you're putting it in case you do get rain that night. Are you going to cover it with a tarp? Or are you going to put it under a tree um, to make sure that it stays dry? Uh, so there's some good, important things to um, work with. For the next part is it's, it's about how to make sure kids feel comfortable while they're in the woods. So this fear of the woods. So the first thing really here is to make sure that you yourself are in your comfort level right? If you're not a trips person, if you're not a camping person, you probably shouldn't be leading the one or two week trip out into the middle of nowhere. Maybe start with getting yourself comfortable first with the overnight camp trip. That's about a hundred yards into the woods. The other things to think about is, are you comfortable with being in the dark? Are you comfortable being about being around bugs? And the tough thing is, it's part of your job to just kind of go, hey, I have to be comfortable with this. I need to make sure that I can handle this so my campers can handle it too. And then to role model, hey, I might be a little bit scared right now too, but I can handle it. And so can you as a kid. Um, and that's so important because I can't tell you how many times I've watched a counselor go into the woods. They've freaked out over something that was very small, like maybe a bug or something like that made its way into the cabin or sorry, not the cabin, but the, the tent. 
Maybe uh, the amount of dirt that was in the tent was just too much. Maybe they weren't ready to start a fire and they were just really struggling. So they couldn't get dinner going. Uh, you need to, as a counselor, if you know you're going to be going out on these uh, camping trips to be comfortable. So that means during staff training, did you learn how to start a fire? Did you like learn proper tent etiquette to make sure that you're taking your shoes off before you get into the tent? These are all things that are really, really important. So to, in order to help your campers manage their fear of the woods, you need to manage your level of comfort with the skills you're going to need when you get out there. Um, and I got to say, it's on you. Um, you accepted the job as a counselor. You know that going out into the woods is going to be part of your job. So you need to make sure that you are doing the things before you get out there that are going to make you comfortable. The next thing is um, make sure you're not trying to make it more scary than it needs to be. I know we've talked about scary stories here on the podcast before, but you don't need to tell them around the campfire. You don't need to make your campers more scared than they might already be. So just think about how you're going to manage that fear and why would you add more to it? Why would you try and make it worse than it is? So those are my big ones. Um, make sure you're comfortable. Don't tell those scary stories and then have your skill sets really well managed. Um, and that will help make being out in the woods a little bit easier for you and your campers. Hmm. I, I, that's great, Oliver. I, I think that you knowing where you are at is really important. And I, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I want to add kind of something. If just Maybe this is just my experience, but I, I would say that if you have never been on a canoe trip before or a, a trip in any of these, uh, any of the ways we're defining it here, don't limit yourself to that experience though. If you don't know how to build a fire, if you don't have some of these hard skills, I don't want you to immediately think, okay, this isn't for me and stop listening. So, um, but if, if you're still listening at this point, then you I think you're at least a little bit interested. Just be aware of where your skill level is at. And if you are asked to do that, if that becomes part of your job or that's part of the camp culture, then what is on you is to advocate for your level of skill with the camp director and say, hey, I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable about this. Uh, I don't know how to do this, or I, I'm having kind of some of these fears. Is there any, any way that I can, I can work on this? Or is, is there someone that can help me? Or can you pair me up with someone who's super strong uh, on this trip? Because uh, truthfully, when I went on my first overnight canoe trip, um, I had done a little bit of like two days on a river, getting to a site that was really well set up for us. It, it was not hardcore by any means, um, but my first multi-day canoe trip, I'd never done anything like that. I knew how to set up a fire. I knew generally how to set up a tent, but I really followed the lead of our tripper. Um, and, and the tripper assured me, uh, she said that um, Matt, you are in charge of the campers. You know how to be a counselor. You know all of these things. We're just doing it in a different place with some specific skills. And um, it was a pretty easy trip. And she said, I, I will teach the campers what, what I can teach them. And you make sure that they're safe, make sure that they're entertained. I might get you to light a campfire if you can do that, um, but don't sweat it too much. And, and because of that trip, I unlocked this deep, deep, deep passion uh, for canoe tripping. There are going to be some people who are, uh, who are a little bit more scared of trips. So here are some ways to help with that. Just some specific examples. If it's a fear of the dark, a lot of the time it's that. Um, some of those rechargeable fairy lights, they're usually battery or USB powered um, or, or they have a USB charger on it and you just flip a switch and they turn on and there's third perfect. They create this nice little ambient light. And if you string them up inside of a tent, it creates this really, really nice light um, where kids can uh, use that as they're going to bed. And you can even, if you like turn your head the other way, they're not too bright. You can leave them on all night, charge them by USB if you have a charger during the day, or they'll probably last you most of your trip anyway. So uh, that's a great thing to just bring along to have if a camper wants them. Um, and then I would also say just practicing at camp at the start of your uh, at the start of your week, usually from, for me, there was a couple, there was a day or so before we went on trip. And during that time, you could 
prime the exposure that they're going to have at camp. So maybe you can get some recordings of sounds at night that people might hear when they're camping. So you can say, oh, that sounded really loud, but it was really just a chipmunk. It just sounds louder because it's at night. Um, maybe if um, the the example that you set and Oliver, you nailed it with this. The example you said is really important. If a bug crawls on you or a mosquito, don't freak out and swat it and go crazy. You could just brush the bug away or use it as a learning opportunity and say, hey, it's just a bug. It's no big deal. Um, if they're scared about animals, you can you can say, okay, well, let's look for the tracks and maybe what the scat looks like of this animal so that they have some knowledge as well. And they can look around uh, as they're doing their site check, just like you. And the last thing I would say is um, I, I hope that you never say to a camper, don't worry. Because I think don't worry is one of the, the most useless statements that we can say to a kid. Because you saying don't worry is not going to help them not worry. Right. And that's, and that's what you, when you say that, your intention is, oh, don't, you don't want them to worry. You don't want them to be sad or afraid. But what they are thinking is, I am worried because of this specific thing. So you need to help them with that specific thing. So you need to ask some questions and have a conversation about it. And then what you do is you show them how you're prepared for that thing. So if they're worried about bugs, you can say, okay, this is how we're going to be prepared. This is your bug jacket. You can wear it whenever you want and it's going to help keep you safe. Um, if they're worried about ticks, you can say, this is what the dangerous ticks look, the more dangerous ticks look like. And these are what the other ones are. And this is what to do. And, and show them how you're prepared for all those scenarios. Um, and that will help alleviate their fears way more than you saying, don't worry. Um, so so the, add that to the list of things to never say again is uh, telling someone, don't worry. Yeah, I, I think what Matt really hits on there too that I really like to emphasize is education and knowledge really help you get over fear. Uh, so if you're teaching about you know what those bugs are, what they're looking for, uh, Oh, best practices and such. You're you're teaching them to not have those fears, but ways that they can overcome them. They can look towards the forward, look forward to not having to deal with them all the time. So we'll move on to another topic of ours. We're going to talk about keeping those kids entertained while they're on the trip. So we're out there, we're having a lot of fun. Um, but how are we having that fun? What makes it really special? So um, I'll uh, kick off with some of what I think make overnights specialer than your typical night and I'll pass it on to Matt. But some of the things that I really like doing is I like to do a night hike. Um, if you're not familiar, this is kind of a night science experiment kind of thing that you can do. You can rub some quartz crystals against each other. They glow in the dark. If you didn't know, you can crunch some lifesavers in your teeth. That's another great thing that you can show off uh, to your camper. Um, you can talk about their eyesight, where they lose the ability to see color. Um, there are so many cool things that you can do in the dark. Uh, and you can look up a lot of those games online. You can email me some questions. I love night hikes. They're one of my favorite things to do uh, because people start to realize how cool the night can be. And it, it makes it really special. And you can add some stargazing into that that makes it really, really special. So um, there's a lot to do there with a night hike. And you can do this whether you're camping or not. Like you can take the kids out of the cabin for a night and go and do a night hike. But when you do it on the overnight, it does make it a little bit more special and memorable. Um, the next thing is maybe some wood games. So before it gets dark or when it gets dark, as long as you adapt the rules so your campers aren't going to hurt themselves or get lost, you can do some wood games like manhunt or capture the flag or um, something of that nature. So that kids can you know play some type of game in the woods, get a little bit of energy out, um, but make sure you do it safely. Um, so that your campers aren't running full speed through the woods where they're going to trip, fall over and get themselves, you know, stuck by a branch or something like that. So um, make sure you do them safely. Uh, the next is um, doing a more serious cabin chat or devotion, um, whatever it is that you end your day with. We've talked about on the podcast, you should be having some form of conversation at the end of every day with your campers. But I think this one can be a little bit more special. Um, we had uh, something called boundary breakers as I worked at. The first, the first camp I worked at, and it was really special. Campers really looked forward to it, to have that night of boundary breakers and to be able to open up. Uh, and because there was such a tradition in it, it was one of the most special nights, I think, at camp. And uh, it's just a really good way to share 
but I've seen other cab- camps that have done something like a stick ceremony where you put your stick in the fire and, you know, um, you give it a wish, like a wishing stick. Um, there's, there's a lot of different ones you could do there. And it just becomes more special because you're, you're all out and you're in the woods and you're around the campfire or whatever it might be. And you just get to enjoy yourselves. Um, the next one is some type of ceremony of acceptance or inclusion. I think it's an amazing thing you can do. Um, you know, uh, maybe it's giving some type of, um, formatted gift to all of your campers, like, a like a bracelet or a or something like a talisman or a badge or a special rock or just maybe something that you carved yourself. I don't know, but a gift that is identifiable to your cabin group now, something that they can hold on to and be like, well, that was the summer that I was part of this. And I think it, if you do it as a ceremony of some sort, you're giving it out to each camper and you're letting them get represented in some way that really matters. They, they get that importance of being a part of something. And I think your um, overnight can really help do that or your trip. Like if you do that on the last night of, you know, an elongated trip, it can have a lot of meaning. Um, And it comes to with a sense of pride and the fact that they had earned that too, that they've gone through this trip as a group, as a team. uh, And it it gives it a lot of meaning. Um, I've seen some of those go so, so, so well. Um, so I think it's something that you should just indoctrinate into your program, uh, as a way to make kids, uh, feel a part of something. And that's not so much about being entertained, but it does hundred percent make the trip more memorable. Uh, Matt, what are you doing on your trips, uh, to keep kids entertained? I, I like that you went deep, Oliver, into the, into the, the emotional side of things. Um, the, I, I think that's really important because the, the sense of accomplishment, like you said, of doing something together. I mean, I remember at the end of uh, the first ever hiking trip that I went on, and it was a hard, hard trip. We had young kids. They were inexperienced, and, and they worked their butts off. And we got over the, the bridge uh, to back to the parking lot of, after doing the whole loop. And on the bridge, there was this like twine of some sort that was like tied around one of the posts. And so we, we cut it and uh, gave it out as bracelets. And I met a camper who came to camp six years later, and they were still wearing that piece of bracelet. Like this dumb string that we just tied around our wrist because we said, yeah, we did this thing. And and uh, so you never know um, the impact that those kind of gestures are going to have on kids. So I appreciate you bringing those up. Mine are a little bit more kind of like entertainment. Sometimes there's a lot of sitting around on a trip. If it's raining or if you're canoeing on flat water, uh, sometimes it just takes forever to get from place to place. So here are some suggestions. Uh, first off, with traveling ones, I, I really like um, just conversation starters in general. There's a great website that I'll put in the show notes called Conversation Starters, Conversation Starters World com or something like that. You'll see in the show notes, um, but it has a great, just big list of questions. And um, so there's a, a, an entirely appropriate, would you rather section? So it asks really great questions from there um, that you can use to pass the time. Always good for a couple of laughs around the campfire too. Uh, I also, I don't know if I invented this game, but I'm going to say I invented this game. It's called tiers, like, you know, the top tier of something. Um, where you you pick a subject and you just go around and everyone says what that thing within the category is a tier of. So for example, if I said, uh, Oliver, we'll play we'll play a game. If if I said uh, the flavor is chips, uh, you pick either top tier, meaning like you you love them if they're if you will actively seek them out to to have them. Me, uh, the medium tier is like okay, you know, if it if the category was chips, like if they're there, I'll eat them. And then tier three is like garbage. I won't eat them even if they're offered to me for free. So for me, this is maybe a hot take. Uh, dill pickle chips is a top tier. I will eat them every single time. Uh, Oliver, what, where, where are dill pickle chips for you? What's a, what's a tier chip of yours? Well, we don't have dill pickles chips in the States. That's oh my a God. Canadian luxury you, item. You poor, so, poor, unfortunate souls. <clears throat> yeah, we don't have those. Um, I don't know. A top tier chip. I'm, I'm a sour cream and onion fan. Um, so I, I, that's the direction I'd probably go. That's my top tier. See, and that's a tier three for me. And so we could we could have a long and spirited conversation about why why we're different. And Oliver, when I see you 
in person for the second time in real life, once we're allowed to, I'm bringing you a bag of dill pickle chips um, because that is just a darn crime. I've had, I've had the dill pickle chip. I've had, I've had the chip there. I think they're medium tier for me. They're okay. like mid tier. Okay. We can still be friends. So, That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're not low tier. I'm not, if you're an American, you're listening to this and you're like dill. I don't know. It's, you know, you can give it a try. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, okay. Matt's like, no, you, you're going to love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so some other ways to kill time. I think cards are great. We've talked about a couple card games as our eggles, I know, before, but obviously they're really abundant online. Uh, you can also find some waterproof cards. That's a bit of a pro tip. Um, I think that I have cards linked in the first section, and it's a, a set of waterproof ones. Um, just, again, you don't have to worry about them getting wet. You can play them in the middle of a canoe and in the middle of a rainstorm. Still have some fun playing cards. Um, one of my favorite pastimes is skipping stones. And I, I don't know, it seems like a weird thing to suggest as a topic, but if you watch a couple of YouTube videos on how to skip stones, it's super duper fun. Um, and, and maybe not for everybody, but I know for me, I could literally... I have literally spent hours on the shoreline just skipping stones because it's super fun. Um, so give that a try with and bring kids into the mix, obviously. Uh, if you want, you can bring some nature identification books or maybe you can your camp has some laminated cards with local uh, flora and fauna to do some identification with kids. And then if you're really feeling like it's something you can manage, and, and I would definitely ask about this one, you could teach some kids some uh, knife carving or whittling. That's It's a bit of an advanced skill. You might want to think about it with older. It's hard to manage with a big group of kids, but I've seen places where they give everyone a small little pocket knife so they can work on the responsibility that comes with those. So you can teach some of the proper skills if you have them. Again, YouTube is a great place to learn and, and practice on your own before you teach it. But um, it's kind of a fun thing. It brings a little bit of risk into the mix. Um, and I'll give a plug to Go Camp Pro's Five Minute Friday program because I recorded two videos on knife carving and how to do it with kids. So if you sign up for Five Minute Fridays, uh, Go Camp Pro, gocamp.pro slash 5MF, you can uh, check out those videos and uh, I'll send them to you that way. Uh, but it's a great little fun thing to do with kids and they can carve their own marshmallow stick for the night, which is kind of fun. Yeah. And, and just to finish that topic, I, and I think to finish this topic as a whole is really, this is the goal, right? You want kids to come out into the woods. You want them to connect being out in nature as something positive. You want them to think, oh man, this is such a wonderful place to be. This is where I want to be. This is comfort. Because if they don't get that connection, then they'll have a poor rapport with being out in nature and being out and camping. And I think anybody who's listening to this podcast knows the importance of having nature in a person's life. Uh, and part of being a counselor is creating that positive relationship. Um, so play these games, enjoy this night out on the, on, around the campfire, um, breathe in the woods and enjoy nature for all it is. That's really why we are doing these overnights and why they're so important. So um, <clears throat> with that being said, uh, that is the show, except for one very important moment that we like to take the time for, and that's our Eggle time. It's our ever-growing, ever-learning, it's a trick, a tip, a game, or a song for counselors to use to be better every day. All right. So, Matt, if you're going to make a counselor a little bit better today, what are you going to give them? Yes, I will recommend a app or an app, I guess you would say. Uh, and it's one that I don't use too often, but I love it every time I use it. Um, it's called Marco Polo. And if you've never used it before, it's basically just a video chatting app where you can send, uh, you, you know, just put your camera in front of you, your phone in front of you and selfie mode and just record a quick video. It's super easy. doesn't have to be anything specific. I guess it's kind of like Snapchat, but it's not as like social media -y as Snapchat. It's a little bit easier that way. And you can do groups um, and it's just a nice, easy way to connect with people. So I, I might suggest if you... Um, I want to reconnect with some of your camp friends or you make friends during the summer, or if you're at camp and you have access to your cell phone on like a, a time off or a break or something like that, you can use the Marco Polo app to send a very quick video message out to everybody where you don't have to um, dedicate a whole you know slew of time to writing an email or something like that. So check out Marco Polo. I'll put the link to the app in the show notes. 
Perfect. All right. So I am going to sing uh, a song for y'all that you can take. And it's also kind of a game uh, that you can play with kids. Uh, and I'll explain it after I sing the song. So uh, for those of y'all listening, get ready to be serenaded by my horrible voice. <clears throat> I'm a little piece of tin. Nobody knows where I have been. I've got four wheels and a running board, but I'm no Chevy. I'm a Ford. Honk, honk, rattle, rattle, crash, beep, beep. Honk, honk, rattle, rattle, crash, beep, beep. Honk, honk. So that's I'm a little piece of Tim. It's not a long song. It's not a difficult one. Um, and really, you can just keep repeating it and repeating it. And you, it's so easy to do. But the game that you get to kind of play with it is with the ending. So at the very ending, it goes honk, honk, rattle, rattle, crash, beep, beep, honk, honk, rattle, rattle, crash, beep, beep, honk, honk. And for some reason, at least three or four times you sing this with a group of kids. You know, I do it a lot at campfires they're going to keep singing that part. So they're going to keep going honk, honk, rattle, rattle, crash, beep, beep, honk, honk, rattle, rattle, crash, beep, beep, honk, honk, rattle, rattle. Oh, nope. It stops there on the third honk, honk, and that's the end of the song. But you'll see kids will start to sing along. So uh, I have a lot of fun with it and kind of get a good laugh when the kids, you know, keep singing past where the song is supposed to end. And usually when I sing it, every single time I repeat it, I go a little bit faster every single time. So you know, you heard me the first time. The second time I might go, I'm a little piece of tin, but nobody knows where I have been. And then the next time is, I'm a little piece of tin, right? And then it's, I'm a little piece of tin. And it just keeps going faster and faster until you get to a point where it's like, right? And it's just kind of funny to watch somebody kind of mumbling it up there, but you still understand the song. But, uh, and as kids catch on, they get to learn along. So and it gets stuck in your head. You'll be walking around camp and you'll just be, you know, going. <laughs> so there's a song that is also a game. So I got two for one special right there. Uh, but with that being said, <clears throat> if you enjoyed today's show, we'd be so grateful if you left us a review wherever you were listening to the podcast. Your ratings and reviews not only tell us what you like and don't like about the show, but it helps boost our rankings. It helps more people discover our show. Oliver, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Spotify just started allowing ratings on podcasts uh, on, on the Spotify app. So if you listen to us on Spotify, please do us a favor. You literally just have to click five stars. Don't even have to put in a review. I didn't even think you can put in uh, like a written review. Just give us those five stars and uh, that would really help us out. So don't forget if you uh, want to check out the show notes, there's a lot of links in this episode for things that we talked about. Uh, gocamp.pro slash FCC will be the place where you can find them. And you can find out all of the other cool things that the GoCamp Pro Podcast Network is doing at gocamp.pro slash podcast. That's that. Thanks for listening, friends. And remember, camp is camp and camp's all good. First Class Counselors is brought to you by Beth and Travis Allison, summer camp leadership training and marketing consultants. Thanks for listening, friends. Hey, Camp Pros. We love that our industry is built on sharing. In order to foster that spirit, if you've gotten even one good idea from a GoCamp Pro podcast, masterclass, from the Summer Camp Professionals Group, a conference, or wherever else, we ask that you give credit where credit is due. That way, it'll encourage camp pros to keep freely sharing their ideas and make the camp industry as a whole better.